Welcome, everyone, to Bracket U, a college basketball bracket podcast brought to you by Delphi Bracketology. Uh, This is our 12th episode of the season. We are in our eighth year of bracketology work and want to bring weekly updates and special episodes like tonight to those who want to hear where their favorite team stands in regards to the NCAA tournament. This podcast is for all you junkies who have March Madness all season long. We're able to do this and create new content thanks to the sponsorship of Coca-Cola Bottling of Kokomo and the generous donations of our followers. Special thanks to Bob Thompson for creating our intro music and to Jared Morris of the Assembly Call for inspiring us to do podcasts like this and branching out. Uh, I'm Brian Tonsoni, and tonight we have a special edition with fellow bracketologist Alan Bykowski and Graham Doran joining to discuss bracket philosophy. Welcome, fellas. Uh, introduce yourself to uh, the Bracket U podcast. Graham, we'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about how you got started in, in bracketology and, and, and where you reside. Uh, honestly, I'm not sure when I started because it would have been sometime when I was a kid. I just remember I'd go over to friends' houses when on Selection Sunday and, you know, I was maybe six or seven years old and they'd be wanting to watch cartoons. And I'm like, hey, can we turn on ESPN? And I'd make my little bracket there and just write it all out. So I was I was ready from uh, literally as, as long as I can remember. I've been all about bracketology. So uh, I think I was probably in like fifth grade or something when I started producing my own brackets beforehand on who I thought was going to go where. So it's been a long time. I'm out in Washington, D.C., and uh, just happy to be on here. Thank you. Well, thanks for joining us. And Alan Bykowski, you're from um... – Marquette, you you write for Marquette. You have a wonderful T-shirt on there representing the championship uh, team in 1977. Share with uh, our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got into uh, doing brackets. I think I probably got started after the 2011 season. Uh, I felt rather bitter when I was crunching the numbers and couldn't understand how on earth VCU got into the field. And I had arguments back and forth with people because my argument was that what they did during the regular season was what got them in. You don't justify it after the fact by going to the final four. Uh, Fast forward to now, I'm writing for CrackedSidewalks.com, doing bracketology. VCU's coach at the time is now coaching my alma mater's team, Marquette. Uh, Amazing how those things tend to come around. Um, But I just started doing it a little bit for fun and then interacting with people online and getting more and more into it and really enjoying the process and crunching the numbers. So I'm really glad to be here. Well, glad you're here. And we are going to talk a lot of things here in the next 45 minutes to an hour, however long we, we, we have here to share with you a little bit about how we make decisions. It's ultimately the committee's responsibility to make the decision and we try to guess what they're likely to do so we have four segments for you on tonight's show and and we hope that you can enjoy if you're watching live on youtube and have a question you can put one into uh, the chat over on your right normally or below if you're on your phone and we'll try to answer those questions uh, as you have them so fellas uh, let's get started the net is a ranking system and a sorting tool for the nca committee it's been used now for a few years what do we think the committee values in those spreadsheets that I get from WarrenNolan.com and, 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 and we study? Uh, Alan, for you as a bracketologist, what uh, obviously quad one wins, but what, what do you really look at to try to make your decisions on where people should be seated? The quad one wins definitely stand out. Um, ever since they split up quad one and quad two into the A and Bs, 
I've looked a lot at that too. I feel that, especially when you get to those bubble teams, you see the people that can get those big wins are able to get bids almost regardless of the rest of their resume. Um, The way that I kind of view it is you look at the neutral court wins and quad one, one to 25 is your quad one a on a neutral court. I think of that as your top six seeds. So those are your more elite teams. Uh, Then you have the 25, 26 to 50. That's sort of your at large pool. And, you know, my mindset when you get to quad B or quadrant two, a, you're going to have, the up to 75. Now you're talking about roughly the size of the field. So can you beat a team that would get an auto bid? Can you beat a team that's right at the fringe? And then the end of quad two B would be where you're talking about NIT teams. So more fringe teams, more bubble teams, teams that are trying to get in. And that's the way I look at it. When you're talking about a team getting in, if you can beat those top tier teams, those quad one A's, that's going to be valuable for you. Uh, The other thing that I've done with net is this year I've made a change. I always used to go off conference standings. Now for my auto bids, I give it to the top net team every time because what the net is trying to figure out similar to Ken Palm is who's the best team. And that's the team that's going to, in theory, win the auto bid. That's who's going to get the bid. It's not going to be who's top in the standings. It's going to be the team that's the best at the end of the day in terms of the conference tournament. And that's what I think Net and Ken Palm are trying to protect. Graham, what do you look at uh, in, in your research, uh, and what do you think um, the committee is is kind of looking at too when you get a variety of information on a on a team sheet? Well, I mean, I think first off, you're right that there's a variety of information on the team sheet, and it's all there intentionally. Nothing was put on there by accident. This is well thought out what they wanted people to see, whether it's non-conference strength of schedule, overall strength of schedule. What is your, you know, as Alan mentioned, top 25 is now Q1A as opposed to Q1B for the 26 to 50 on a neutral court. That didn't, that wasn't there previously. They're trying to send a message that it's important to split up even further when you're in those first two quadrants. So I think again, uh, all of it's very intentional. I think there's a, a message sent a few years ago in 2018, uh, was the first year, or excuse me, 2019. No, 2018 was the first year they put uh, KPI, strength of record, uh, your Sagarin, your Ken Palm, your BPI onto the team sheet. That was all for a reason. The committee is emphasizing efficiency more than they used to. They're emphasizing other metrics. They determined the RPI wasn't good enough. They wanted the net because they wanted something that really synthesized how good are you, but also how accomplished are you. So uh, for me, I'm looking at so many different things on there. Um, but really, I think it, uh, at the, the end of the day, the things that you most focus on is balance. So you want to see how do you do against the best teams that you played because you earn bids by winning games against NCAA tournament level competition. Uh, but at the same time, it's all about balance. So you're, you want to see is that strength of record? Is it really bad? Maybe this team, you know, they may have gotten some good wins, but they just weren't good enough for the schedule they played. So I'm looking at all sorts of different stuff on there. And I think for me, it all adds up to who is this team? This team is really good. They're really bad. They're average. It's all a story that you can tell with the team sheet. So I'm looking at just really so many different factors. 
we we got our start uh, just being data driven and looking at numbers, and then the longer we've been into it, the the extra information on the team sheet, the the breaking down of the quad one wins into categories A and B has grabbed our interest in, in the last couple of years. We also uh, have studied trends uh, of the committee because we are guessing what committees do. And yes, there is turnover. Alan had mentioned that, that there's a turnover. So there's always two new sets of eyes, at least going to be on on a committee, but we kind of look at trends and, and then it's not necessarily what, you know, our our club would want to see happening and who is in there, but trying to guess what has been done in the past and what might carry forward for us. We've combined quad one and quad two wins. And if you're at 500 or over, that seems to get teams in, especially when you're looking at 8, 9, 10, 11. That's a barometer. Not not always. Um, and then there's uh, what I, we call outliers or tie breaks. If you have a high net and, and you have a great um, non-conference strength of schedule, but you're a little bit under 500, that seems to uh, off balance. If you have some quad three losses or a quad four losses, but you're you're high in some of those other uh, areas. But it always comes back to quad one and quad two wins. You have to have a certain balance of the record in order to uh, – you have to have some wins against those teams that are in the bracket. And, and Alan mentioned that. That's one of the things, too, is we're, we look at now is are you beating teams in our bracket? Uh, and that's that one through 75 kind of uh, a net, if, if you if you would. That that is is important as well in selection uh, and and seeding. So I have the spreadsheets all the way back through 2016 at the end of the season with where uh, Warren Nolan had them saved in, in one document, and and I click on that again. I go back and try to try to see some trends, and you wonder if that is passed on. And and one of them guys is your top two seeds, single digit metrics. Since 2016, only Michigan State, with a, I think, 12 RPI in 2016, was on the one or two seed line with a double-digit sorting tool, RPI or net. And I hate to use that because I believe in the resume. I believe in the quad ones and all the things that we've talked about. But, boy, it's a trend. So if you're a 10, 11, or 12, if you're Duke and you want to have a two-seed line, you've really got to have something on that resume for us at Delphi Bracketology to move you up to a two. It also scares us, too, because right now that's Villanova uh, in a single-digit net without the resume of a two-seed, according to us. So we have to play the trend versus you know resume um, metrics deal. But let me ask you this. We'll come to you, Graham, and then, Alan. Losses, are, are they absolute killers of your resume, or can they be balanced? Uh, I like your word, balance. Uh, can they be balanced by other things? Um, you know, a quad four loss looks really bad. Quad three, uh, there are some teams that don't have those losses, but their resume is really bad. My Indiana Hoosiers, uh, for one, um, might be out because they don't have a good resume, even despite not having bad losses. So, Graham, how do you look at losses? I, I think, it, it, like you're mentioning, it's it's all part of the puzzle. What I do think is a major problem is when those last losses add up to just a record that cannot be uh, sustained. So you get to those examples of like Texas uh, a couple of years ago in 2019, very good team, but they ended up one game over 500. Went to the NIT championship, didn't matter. Nobody with that kind of record, it doesn't matter how strong your strength of schedule is, they were 38th in the net. They're not getting into the tournament when they add in that, that many losses. 
Same deal with uh, in 2019 also. Uh, Kansas was top 10 in both KPI and strength of record, four in KPI, 10 in strength of record. They ended up a four seed because they had too many losses. So I do think loss accumulation uh, really matters. But at the end of the day, good wins is always going to outpace uh, losses unless you just come to having too many of them at some point. Alan, that's maybe not what you wanted to hear a little bit. Marquette has a couple too few, um, too many losses right now, but we have them on, on pushing for a four or a five seed in our bracket. We're really impressed with what Marquette has done this year. But how do you look at losses? Uh, well, as as far as Marquette goes, I just had them on the six line with my new one that dropped today. Uh, that was down from the five previously. The loss is definitely factored into that. Um, I try not to be too biased in my own team's favor. Uh, regarding do you get mad players, at them and move them down? I do that with Indiana. <laughs> like I had them as an eight, and then they lose to Northwestern, so I'm mad. And then I I, I got That's why I like the committee too, so they'll eliminate my bias. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, no, no worries at all. Um, yeah, I think that, like Graham was saying, one of the big things that I look at is sort of that disparity in terms of wins and losses. Um, I've had a number of people who've brought up, you know, well, if we can just get to 18 wins, you know, that'll be good. 18 is not a good number if you're trying to get into the field. That's, you know, that that's a, just a total that the committee doesn't like. Uh, unless you have some canceled games – really you need a bigger gap between your win and loss total. That's why a lot of these big 12 teams this year, I'm a little bit worried about, you know, whether it's Oklahoma or West Virginia or K-State, they can rack up some great wins. Uh, West Virginia only has one loss outside of quad one, but if you don't have the total volume, you're just not going to get to the level that you want to be at. Um, but also like Graham was saying, good wins always trump bad losses. You know, if, if you have a couple of those top tier wins, that's going to effectively wipe that stuff off the resume. It might hurt your seating, but it's not right. going to hurt your inclusion. And that that's a key, the difference between selection and seating. You know, selection getting in, wins help you get in. Losses may hurt you uh, a seed line. And I look at losses as a tiebreaker. Uh, if I see four or five in a group, then I may move the teams that have less losses up a little bit and, and teams down a little bit, but it's who you win. You know, Graham, that you've said that for years. It's it's who you play and who you win and who you defeat, and and you got to get those. And I, I like the fact that wins – and I like non-conference schedule too because I think teams need to schedule, and they need to schedule well and not be afraid of taking losses. I think that's good from a coaching perspective. You got to play tough teams to get ready for the postseason. Uh, we have a question in the chat. MC Lee, thanks for joining us and, and watching. We appreciate it. Uh, he he said that I've always thought if you're if you yourself are a quad one win regardless of location for other teams you should automatically be in that's a top thirty net I guess that would be top thirty net are there any outliers in that regard I'll answer that and then we'll go back around Alan to to Graham uh, if you're in the top thirty you should be per feeling pretty good uh, about getting in they're they're probably. I have to go back to all my sheets. I know that there have been some 33s, some 38s, some 30s that didn't make it because of the accumulation of loss. Texas a couple years ago, 2019, was 16 and 16, and, and but a, a 36 net or something of that nature. Um, I also think that in Ken Palm, when I look at Ken Palm, if you're in the top 40 on up, 
you're pretty good because of those efficiencies that we we mentioned earlier that the committee wants to see you play good basketball offensively and defensively it's not a guarantee it's not an automatic top 30 net gets in or a guarantee that it's a top 40 in Ken Palm but um that's where like guys Michigan kind of freaked me out the other night when I did an update and Michigan's sitting at 30 in the net I'm going whoa come on one win I know against Purdue was it was a widespread and that's where Graham's an expert on how the net is um is kind of gamed with those wide margins and there's not a cap on that 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 bothers me that's the only negative with net but uh Alan your thought about are there the outliers or the is there a, a limit where you say these teams are generally in these teams, you know, unless there's some odd uh, team sheet. Well, in terms of top 30, I would say if you're a high major and you're top 30, you're safe. If you are a mid-major, you're probably safe. Um, you know, this year, a team like Murray State, I think Murray State is probably at-large worthy. Um, if they end up taking a bad loss, they already do have a loss in quad three. So that's not going to help them, but they are four and one versus quads one and two right now. Uh, maybe five and one. I'd have to double check that. Uh, but the you know, like you said, there are teams that can game the net. Virginia Tech is a perfect example. <laughs> I don't have them in the field. I don't have them first four out or next four out. But they're thirty five in the net. They are very close to being quad one on any court, and they have zero or zero wins in quad one whatsoever their quad two is shaky at best um i don't think there's a number that can guarantee you getting in right you know even last year you know if you want to talk quad one a on any court colgate last year was top quad one a on any court now that was a little bit of a Kinky situation because the Patriot League didn't really play many non-con games. Right, it allowed them to rise up in the net, but and there really wasn't a consistent non-conference schedule across NCAA basketball um, to compare it to. Um, Graham, your thought on a top thirty net um, being pretty safe in? I, I I definitely agree, and I think the fact that we're in this new net era it does separate a little bit from the RPI previously. One that always bugged me, and I missed them because I added them as a ten seed that year, uh, it was twenty sixteen St Bonaventure. There were thirty in the RPI, and they actually had a winning record against Quadrant One. So to have an RPI of that level and a winning record against Quad One, uh, they actually picked up some wins against uh, St Joe's, Dayton, who were seven and eight seeds. Uh, so I felt really good actually that St Bonaventure was going to make it. But uh, as Alan alluded to, it's more safe when you're a power conference team at that level than when you're a mid-major that, to not get quite as much uh, of a leeway. So we have Murray State at 26, and I don't know if that's updated today. I didn't update the 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 nets on our spreadsheet. Iowa is at 19. And so I, I throw out Iowa uh, to our group here. Um, where do you have Iowa seated? Because they – they are 0 and 5 in quad one, 5 and 2 in quad two, no quad three losses, three and five on the road, one and 0 neutral, and 270 non-conference strength of schedule, and they're 19 um, in in the net. Uh, where do you guys have them? We'll start Graham. Where do you have Iowa? Uh, they're my last number seven seed, and I'm not happy about it because the resume 
is awful bubble territory. It's yeah. definitely bubble territory if you look at the resume. But when you're that efficient on, on across the board, I mean, every everybody agrees. Ken Palm, BPI, Sagarin, the net, they all agree. Iowa, when they win, they win easily. And when they lose, they tend to lose pretty close. So I do think you get to a certain point where even if the resume is not really there, you're just so efficient that you're going to make the field. Is, is, that, is there a problem with strength of schedule and that cap? Like if you blow someone out 90 to 40, your offensive efficiency skyrockets and your defensive efficiency is excellent too. There's that gap and that's just one game. Uh, that's, that's the issue. Yeah. That's the one issue I have with the net is there is a cap in the formula, which I don't have memorized for winning margin and some of those things, but I would like to see it, you know, some metric. And I know there's, there's some out there that take game score or whatever, when the game ended, uh, am I thinking Bart Torvik or, or, or there's somebody that does that, that might be a component to add to make the net even better. You and I are on the same page. I was uh, just talking to Shelby Mass the other day, and I was telling him what I really want to see the NCAA selection committee do is make net based on all it looks at is strength of schedule and your game control in comparison to that strength of schedule. Were you beating good teams easily? Were you barely beating good teams? When you played good teams, were you losing by a lot uh, the whole game? Because I don't really care about the final score. I care about – What's the story there? For a good example, last night, Kansas is up by 30 points with five minutes left to play against Oklahoma State. They don't score the final five minutes of the game. Game's already over. So now the net says, oh, they won by 14. Right. So they're 14 points better than Oklahoma State on home court. That doesn't tell the story of the game at all. Another dream of mine is to be hired by a major college team to analyze the net. Okay, you're down seven. Quit fouling. Just take the seven-point loss will be better than if you foul and lose by thirteen, right? Or you're up seven, keep going. You know, you know, yeah, you don't want to lose and take shots quickly, but you know, put the pedal to the metal. Alan, where do you have Iowa? Uh, Iowa, I have as my last eight seed, and like Graham, I don't really like it. Uh, I I think their resume looks a lot more like a ten than it does an eight. They just, you know, similar to North Carolina they don't have any of those top tier wins. They have nothing in quad one, but their average of the efficiency rankings is 18. So that's going to make a big difference in terms of moving them up. And when it came to, I do selection and seeding separately. And so they were definitely selected based on where their rankings come up. But when I get to seeding and I'm going down and I come to Iowa, it's Looking at my chart right now, I've got them one slot ahead of Marquette. I just I can't in any world justify how I would put Iowa's resume ahead of this resume that I've been watching all year, where we beat the brakes off Providence. We you know beat Illinois, albeit without Kofi Coburn. It you know have far better wins, um, and it. What I would say as far as the net goes, I like Graham's idea. Uh, I think it'd be nice to see some sort of regressive model where, don't get me wrong, beating a team by 50 is better than beating a team by 30. But I don't know that that's a greater difference than beating a team by 30 versus 10, even though the difference between them is 20 points regardless. Uh, One other thing that I would note, I believe it was this year, they removed that 10-point scoring margin cap. Oh, did they? So that's no longer factored in the net. 
And the reason that I think they did that was because it really wasn't a scoring margin cap. It was just a bonus that because it was built in as a points per possession differential already, the more you win by, the more it's going to matter. Then you add this 10 points. That's just adding right. to it and making worse what they said they were trying to minimize. Yeah, that that's always interesting. We, we have Iowa as a 10. Um but the trends have 19s don't get down that low unless there is something mm-hmm. really odd. And then the only real odd is there are zero wins. And, and the, what, what, why we moved them, because we had them as a 7 and an 8 as recently as two weeks ago. When we do that refresh, we don't look at what we did. We just start over again. And I was thinking, if I'm going to hold North Carolina responsible for 0 and 7 and have them down uh, in 11 or first team out, then what's the difference between Iowa? And the only difference is the net. And when you look at their scores, I think it was gamed a little bit. And I do think the committee understands that. So now let's go reveal our top seeds. This is what everyone probably wanted to wants to hear at least. Um, we'll go number one seeds, and um, then we'll argue if there's any differences or not argue, just have a good common discussion here. So, Graham, um, I'm going to give you the lead. Uh, share with us uh, your number one seeds. Uh, in order, Gonzaga, number one overall, followed by Auburn, then Arizona, and it's that last position that I think is really yep. debated and people are going different ways. I feel pretty good about my order, uh, but we'll see in the bracket preview and especially depending on how Kentucky performs against Tennessee tonight. But uh, I like Baylor's resume substantially more than Kentucky's when you compare them. So I like Baylor to go above Kentucky. And then between Baylor and Kansas, I don't think there's really a comparison there based on the home court win for Kansas uh, and Kansas leading the Big 12. So I go Kansas above Baylor. That, of course, leaves the issue of Kentucky blowing out Kansas on a home court. So uh, whichever way you look at it, um, I think there's a reasonable argument to be made in any order there. I think Baylor uh, has the most quad one win, so you could go that way. Kentucky blew out Kansas. Kansas blew out Baylor. Who knows, uh, but I'm going Kansas uh, as the final number one seed right now. All right, Alan, it's your turn. Uh, I also have Gonzaga as my top seed. Uh, I understand that their resume metrics aren't quite as good as some of the others, but when you look at the Ken Palm gap they have between one and two, their efficiency metrics are so much better that I think they have to be number one. Uh, I moved Arizona ahead of Auburn today, um, largely because in terms of the averages of those metrics, Arizona's a bit better, and some of their wins shifted into quad two, so their quad one plus two numbers look a lot more favorable now than they did a week ago. Um, Auburn as well being a one seed, and then similar to Graham, I had that conundrum of, okay, who's next? Um, I went back and looked at the history of the top 16 reveal, and it's been going for the past five years, Kentucky right now is three in the net. And teams one, two, and three in the net or RPI have always been one seeds. I went with Kentucky because they've got the numbers. And, you know, again, I I can see Baylor over Kentucky, and I can see Kansas over Baylor. But then we have that blowout of Kentucky over Kansas. I just let the net solve it for me for the last one, and I put Kentucky up there. Uh, Alan, you and I are on the same page, but it is one of those three teams. I think we can agree with that, right? It's that last four seed comes Saturday, unless something crazy happens this week. It's going to be Kentucky, Baylor, or Kansas. The issue for Baylor, 
the issue for Baylor is they've lost a couple games, but won a few games without uh, their their lead guard. The concern for Baylor now is they have another injury with the starter who lost, and I cannot pronounce his name. Uh, Jonathan Chamuachachua. There you Perfect. go. Perfect. Excellent. Every day, John. Uh, yeah, he's out. So, you know, the injury factor, um, again, I think Baylor's not in jeopardy of falling down because of those injuries or whatever. I think they are actually quite impressive that they won without the crier uh, kid playing. Um but uh, to me, it's either Kentucky or Kansas. And, and two things, I agree with Alan on the net, and that's where that trend really bothers me to go look at trends because I think that's dangerous because uh, I don't have the data for 15, 14, 30, you know. If you're, I just picked a trend start. Um, but um, I, So you got to be careful with that. But we, we went with Kentucky. Um, Gonzaga, Auburn, Arizona, Kentucky. I do like, Alan, your argument for moving Arizona up. We were skeptical of Arizona for a while because their wins, their quality of wins, I don't think were equal to to what Baylor and Kansas. But, you know, Baylor and Kansas are going to get quality wins almost every game in the Big 12 because at one point all nine eligible teams in the Big 12 were real close to being in. That would be a, a first for a, for a conference. So I'll start off uh, this one with our, our two seeds. So for me then – um, we have Baylor, Kansas, Purdue, and the one that we don't like, uh, that we're not comfortable with, is Villanova because of the net uh, of being six. And then a lot of teams on our three line uh, with only only five wins and a couple teams uh, that we'll discuss later with some nets in the 20s. Um, wasn't comfortable uh, moving any team with a double-digit seed up to that two-seed line. So Baylor, Kansas, Purdue, Villanova. Alan, your two-seed line. Uh Kansas, Baylor, and Purdue, I also have. The one place that I differ from you is I had Duke ahead of Villanova. Uh, That was my 8-9 turnaround. Um, Reason that I went with Duke, even though they do have a quad three loss, what they also have are two wins over one seeds. They've got, at least in my bracket, they've got a win over Gonzaga. They've got a win over Kentucky. Their top of the resume is as good as anybody's goes. And, again, when I was going back looking at the history of the top 16 reveal – the teams on the top two lines, there's never been a team below 11 in either the net or RPI, whatever was in vogue at the time. Duke right now is sitting at 11. It's right at that cutoff where I'm like, okay, I'm comfortable enough that I can I can squint and I can see it. And frankly, they have the roster for it. And it's Coach K's last year. If, if there's ever a time that the NCAA is going to say, you know, we'll grace you into that last two seed, this is going to be that year. And I do think that that's some of that because people are human in that. It's not just straight data analysis. Uh, Graham, your two seed line. Uh, so I have uh, number one on the two seed line was Baylor, as discussed, then Kentucky. Uh, but then following that, it's Purdue. And I also have Duke, uh, even though I, for a lot of reasons, they don't seem they, they should fit. But same as Allen, when you have two wins like they have, that just really speaks volumes. And I think they pass the eye test. People think they could win a national championship. So I think that really helps their argument. That makes a lot of sense. I'll bring that up in our team meeting on on Thursday morning when we when we look at this as we're constantly evaluating. Uh, for me, it, it's Duke. If if we're going to move Villanova out of there, it's it's going to be Duke. So I, I agree uh, wholeheartedly. Alan, uh, we'll start with you for the C, three seed line. So Villanova leads off my three seed line. Uh, Texas Tech is there with them. Those are the two that I really feel very solid about being up there. Uh, after that, I feel like it gets to be a little bit of a mess. 
I went with Tennessee and UCLA. Even though Tennessee only has the one quad 1A win, all of their losses are in quad 1A, and their metrics are absolutely sterling. Um, UCLA, they've got some nice wins at the top of the resume. Um, again, going back historically, when teams from outside the top 16 tend to get in to the reveal, 67 of the 80 teams ever named the reveal were in the top 16 of the net or RPI at the time. 78 of 80 were in the top 22. So there's only been two outliers beyond that. So I know a lot of people advocate for Wisconsin. A lot of people advocate for Providence based on their resumes. Their resumes are great, but Wisconsin's net is 23. Providence's net is 30. I just can't put those teams up that high when Tennessee and UCLA have the metrics they have and have the wins that they have. Yeah, that's again, that's going back to that trend analysis, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and, and I think that plays out a little bit. Graham, your three seed line. Well, uh, to you guess play devil's advocate, I have Providence <laughs> leading off the three line. Uh, at some point, that record's just so incredibly good. They're leading the Big East. Uh, they'll get their chance against Villanova soon to prove whether right. they should be there. Right. Or not. But uh, that win at Wisconsin was really important for me, too. I think that that's a big factor. So I have Providence, then Villanova. And then I have Texas Tech because they beat Tennessee right above Tennessee. But Tennessee uh, rounds out that three line. As much as I don't want them there, as you mentioned, Alan, their metrics across the board are fantastic. If I'm on the committee, I'm asking myself, what am I missing with this team? <laughs> uh, they did get a, 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 some big victories as well. So it's not just a hollow resume, but their metrics are just so good that when there's any doubt, you almost have to just default to the those great metrics. So – so I'm, I got. I'm going to reveal mine, and I have a question for you guys about Tennessee. I like Tennessee. I like their their team. I like what they do. Uh, to me, they're they're difficult because they're four and six in quad one, but then they have no losses uh, in quad two, three, and four. I think that's a benefit as well. As long and great strength of schedules. So. I, I can see them. We don't have them on the three seed line uh, quite yet, but we have Duke, Texas Tech, and Providence. Um, and I do. I do like Alan's point of. Maybe one of them can get that high, but I maybe not two of them. And now Wisconsin losing to Rutgers is a quad three, but if Rutgers keeps moving up, that becomes a quad two loss, and all of a sudden eight quad one wins for Wisconsin is kind of hard um, hard to see. You know, I can see them at a four seed line. So we're not happy with 23 and 28 nets being that high. That has a, been a huge part of our discussion right now. We're kind of going resume heavy um, as, as a start, and then we kind of are going to move teams, you know, for that final uh, thing. And then we'll really look at the reveal too, uh, as, as Alan said, that those statistics about the, the reveal. If those guys, if if Providence and Wisconsin are at the four seed line, that tells you something about the committee. If they're at the three seed line, it tells you a little bit what about this committee. If one of them is a five seed or left out, that really tells you that the net is driving that. And that's why I do like the reveal. I would like it a little bit earlier uh, than than this close to, to the bracket. Uh, so uh, One thing I just really quickly yeah. wanted to follow up on, Wisconsin looks almost identical to Oklahoma State from last year for me. If you look at the great wins they have, very good KPI, strength of record, but those efficiency numbers are bad. Uh, everybody was thinking Oklahoma State was in line for a possible two seed, maybe one of the best three seeds. They ended up on the four line. That one is not lost on me. Yeah, 
and both those teams, if you look at Ken Palm's luck factor, Providence, I think, is the number one team in the luck factor mm-hmm. in Wisconsin. And you wonder if the committee looks at that. Okay, you have a 23 net, a 28 net. Yes, you've won some games, but there has been some balls bouncing your way um, and, and trying to put the best uh, thing together. I wouldn't be surprised to see both Providence and Wisconsin on the four seed line. They both have – you know, Wisconsin plays at Indiana tonight. Indiana's going to be desperate. You know, you you get a loss. And, and I meant to ask that with, with – um, with Tennessee too. Tennessee's playing Kentucky. You know they go to four. If they lose that, uh, it's at home again. Uh, Tennessee is at home. If they win that, man, that's definitely good for Tennessee. If they lose that, they might be a four seed line too. Because you have teams like Illinois, UCLA that are really pushing. Uh, in fact, Allen has UCLA up. I think that's that's the the way to go. So our four seed line, we have Tennessee. Obviously, would be the team that we would move up. We agree with you guys. Uh, Illinois is there. UCLA there. And then the last four seed is just throw a dart. Um, right now, uh, I, I think there are, are teams. I think uh, Texas can be there. Ohio State can be there. Marquette can be there as the last number four seed. You got two again. You got more twenties in Michigan State and Marquette. Uh, if you want to avoid those those trends, um, we had we just right now slotted Michigan State again because we're heavy on the quad ones and quad twos right now as we do deep dives every week into some of these teams. Uh, that's where we're at awaiting the, the reveal to see where this committee uh, is, is emphasizing. Graham, your four seeds. Uh, my top four seed is Wisconsin followed by Illinois, UCLA. And I agree with you. I, I am so just dumbfounded on what they're going to choose for 16 overall. Cause I have no clue. Uh, it's a team that I really don't want to see there because I just can't imagine them being this high, but I just, I keep staring at it and LSU 10 and six versus quadrant one and two. They're five and four versus quadrant one. Their efficiency metrics are great. And they were injury depleted during this uh, time where they've really struggled. So, you know, when you think of Theo Pinson being out and the effect that clearly had on this team, now that he's back, they got a a victory over Texas A&M. Maybe uh, this LSU team, if you just look at it, you know, the games in November and December count the same as January and February. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up there. Alan, your four seed line. Uh, So up to 15, albeit in a different order, we are all in agreement. Uh, I've got Illinois followed by Wisconsin, Providence. Uh, One quick thing on Providence. I've heard a lot about how there's no resume in the past that you can compare to Providence. And I think I found a resume that actually compares perfectly to Providence. And that's 2017 West Virginia. West Virginia in 2017 beat the brakes off of everybody they played and had a ton of narrow losses, which seems like the opposite of Providence. But that was in an era when RPI was what we used. They were third in Ken Palm, 36th in RPI. This year, Providence is what? Second, third in strength of record, but 30th in the net. They're the exact opposite of West Virginia, but the committee gave West Virginia a four seed in that reveal. I think they're going to do the same thing with Providence this time because when you switch that lens and switch the focus, it makes sense to go with them and treat them the same way that they treated West Virginia at the time. Uh, As far as my last four seed, this might be one that we all hate even more. Uh, I've got Houston there and it, it just comes down to the metrics. It comes down to where they are in the net. Um, I, I just can't see them being that high in the net and falling outside completely 
when really the reveal, if it's done anything, it's reinforced the importance of the net or the RPI at the time. So I just, I, I let Houston cling to that last spot. Um, as soon as you make the turn to the five line, I've got LSU there and two spots later, I've got Michigan state. So we're, we're not too far off from yeah, we, we have, if we were combining this, uh, we'd have 15 of the, of the 16 teams alike, just in different orders. Uh, yep. and, and I think your, your top 15 teams or your top four seeds for the most, they're relatively safe, uh, from falling out, out of the tournament, unless something unforeseen happened. And really, if you go down to our five and six seed lines, if we were to carry this on, you'd find teams. But what's interesting to the people listening or watching is these are people we've done this for years and we have a little different flavor about something. And it does represent what's nice about doing this. It represents what goes on in the committee. Cause I'm sure the committee is sitting there and when they get down to number 16, someone's going to like this team. Someone's going to like this team. Someone's going to like that. And then they give it, they put it to a vote. Uh, and that's how uh, it, it happens. It, an interesting thing guys uh, for, for you we are now trying to make our decisions the Thursday night before um, the the committee is made with only a couple outliers because of process. That committee votes and they put their teams in, you know, uh, you know, four seed lines at a time. But usually by Wednesday night, they have their top seven lines and they start seeding right away. So when they have their top seven, those are pretty much locked in. We, we made a big error in our one bad year, horrible year in, in the bracket matrix. We On Sunday, we flipped Kansas and Purdue and LSU and someone. We moved two teams out of the three to the four and two teams from the four to the three, and we missed out on 12 points. Uh, and, and we had a below average thing, and, and that really hurt us because we moved too much based on the conference tournaments. Uh, I think conference tournaments yep. are good for selection, and if someone makes a wide run, they might move from a seven to a five or a seven. You know, one team like Michigan a few years ago went to the championship or won the championship, and their seed went up a, a line or two. Um, but um, I, I, it's I, interesting. You got to be careful. We're, we're really trying to be solidified on Monday, and then we just text each other or on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, if there's any outliers that really need to be looked at. But we're really hesitant anymore on Saturday or Sunday before the reveal to make any changes. We're just trying to put ourselves in a, in a locked room and not do it because um, I think the committee, the process, at least the top seven, are pretty much locked in by Friday afternoon. I dug in last year to conference tournament results and how it impacts teams on the bubble. And what I found looking back historically, because we always talk about, okay, who can play their way in, you know, our team's going to play their way out. And from what I saw, the only way you play your way in is if you're lifting a trophy and cutting down nets at your conference tournament, you don't play your way in by getting a few good wins, even by getting quad one or quad two wins because the committee already knows the direction they're going when that week starts. Now you can play your way out. I think that Xavier losing to DePaul last year was a case where they might've been on that bubble and you add a bad loss right at the beginning of the conference tournament on Wednesday. It's early enough that the committee can say, eh, okay, yep. we're, we're canceling you. Um, but it otherwise, unless it is something really drastic or winning a title, I think conference, the conference tournament week, championship week, it's a heck of a lot of fun, but it doesn't have a lot of impact on the bracket. Right. Yeah. yeah. And Go ahead, Graham. I was just going to say my, my big year that I, I screwed up was 2019. 
I had uh, Villanova and Iowa State as six seeds. And then on the five line were Mississippi State and Marquette. And Villanova and Iowa State won their conference tournaments, so I moved Mississippi State and Marquette down. Committee kept them there. They, it was like yep. the conference tournaments didn't happen. Cost me a bunch of points. And so we we've learned that lesson, uh, a valuable lesson in 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 doing that. So those are our uh, one through four seeds. A lot of agreement in the fifteen teams. A little disagreement in the placement, but all good stuff. I I, I learned a lot tonight um, already, and I I'm going to bring it to our our kids and our faculty members. But let's talk mid majors. We got about twenty minutes left here, fifteen minutes left. Let's talk about mid majors. Teams with good nets, but they have limited opportunities. Uh. I've found, and I really want to talk to you guys about VCU because I did some digging today and I feel really good about VCU, where VCU is. And a couple days ago, I didn't even have them on my radar and I'm doing a little bit deeper dive. But you have teams like VCU. SMU had a big win against Houston. Um, What do you do with Belmont and Murray State, whoever wins that conference tournament? Does the other one get uh, a bid? Well, your thoughts on that, Graham, and then Alan, how, how do you judge those smaller schools uh, if they get a, an upset in, in the conference tournament? Do they get an at-large over a Wake Forest, a North Carolina, um, you know, and Indiana who are power conference teams with less, uh, less of a resume overall but better wins? Uh, I, I think SMU and VCU are right near that cut line. I think they're both really close. I'm not as big of a fan of the Belmont profile. They need to win at not Murray State, where yep. I don't see any chance for them. I, I think they have to win that game. Uh, but, yeah, it's really interesting you mentioned that because I, I think the committee's done a really good job recently of saying it's about the number of opportunities you have. Did you try to schedule well out of conference? And if you did – then we're going to, when you, if you're close by, we're going to say, okay, if you got 15 opportunities to get big wins, did you convert on eight of them? Did you convert on six of them? I think numerically it matters uh, how well you ended up doing. Uh, but I also think there's, there's that aspect of, you know, how really good was this one? So you may be three and two versus quadrant one, and that's a great winning percentage, but did any of those teams make the tournament? You're going to have to have a really good strength of record if those teams didn't make the tournament because it's all about proving that you can beat NCAA-level competition. So uh, I think Murray State's actually pretty safely in at this point. I think they'd really have to take some bad losses to be out. But uh, VCU, I think, uh, to your point, their resume looks a lot better than people think. Uh, They're not getting talked about a lot, but I think VCU's right there. You know, you got Davidson who's having a good year. Uh, that A-10 conference with VCU, it's just like who wins the conference tournament, but there's, you know, there might be a, one more. Alan, your thoughts about how you place mid-majors, Loyola, do they get a bid? Uh, there's another one. Do they get a bid if they get knocked off in the Missouri Valley Conference? Uh, traditionally, they've been in in the past. Your, your thoughts on the mid-majors? Uh, Loyola in particular, I think has taken on quite a bit of water lately and I moved them down to my 12 line today. Uh, I could easily see having them maybe a line or two ahead of that, but historically speaking, the play in games are always on the 11 line and that it's been quite a few years since we saw anyone below that. Um, and the only time we ever saw anyone below a 12 was the BYU team that they placed on the 14 line. That was strictly because they had to, they couldn't play on Sunday. Um, so I moved Loyola down. I don't feel confident about them at all. Um, VCU, I think my 
biggest worry with them is that I look at my own bracket and the only win they have over my field is Dayton, who I have in as the auto bid. Uh, they did get a win over Davidson. I have Davidson just on the outside. And I think that Murray definitely looks safe to me. That four and one quad one plus two record is fantastic. Belmont, on the other hand, they're sitting at four and five. I'm glad that they scheduled well. I'm glad that they took their chances. They don't have anything outside of that. But when they did get in that large bid in 2019, it was with a five and three record versus quad one and quad two. And I think they need that Murray game. Uh, they could really use at least a 500 record, if not a losing or if, if not a winning record against quad one and two, because as much as we're going to hear how good of a team Moorhead State is, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Moorhead State, when the committee looks at Moorhead State, they see a number next to them. And that number is what they're looking at. And it's not the quality of the team. It's where they rank in terms of the net. And it's just not enough. You know, it's interesting uh, talking about that. Uh, I'm going to just really quickly talk about a power conference team from a few years ago, which was 2018 USC. And they ended up having a four and three Q1 record that year. And they had a really good uh, uh, RPI. It was 34. Almost everybody in the bracket matrix had them in the field, but they, as the Pac-12 was weak and it actually ended up giving them a resume very similar to a lot of mid-majors. You look at the wins they had, they were Middle Tennessee, St. Mary's, just wins that did not move the, the needle. So I think that the numeric number matters, but for these teams, it's also about beating a team that's actually going to be in the field. Or if not, they better be a bubble team because that USC team got swept by UCLA who ended up making the first four. You better beat NCAA tournament level competition or you're going to miss the field. That ACC this year. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Here's my VCU argument. Um, And I could be crazy. Their losses are against tournament teams and four of their losses were without their starting point guard who was out until December 8th. Um, and is averaging 11 points per game, five and a half assists. They lost to Wagner, who is is in a, in the bracket. They lost to Chattanooga. Then they went to the battle for Atlantis, beat Syracuse without him, lost to Baylor by eight, lost to Connecticut in overtime in the third straight game, which sometimes I discount those three games in a row because that's just not normal, no time to prepare. But they lost in overtime to UConn without their starting point guard. Since then, they've only lost three games, and they've all been to uh, the leaders or a St. Bonaventure team who was thought to be uh, one of the better conference teams uh, at a net of 87. So that's where if they win some games, they got Richmond left. They got another uh, game against St. Bonaventure, another game against St. Louis. This is where I am uh, thinking that uh, VCU might be that shocking team that no one – thinks about, and then all of a sudden, bam, they're in and Indiana's out and everyone's saying, oh, that's crazy. Um, I, we do look for that one crazy selection. Um, Notre Dame was almost it a couple years ago with uh, uh, the, the player that was out uh, for all but the last Coulson. game. Colson, yeah. So uh, MC Lee asked another question. We'll get that going. We got about 10 minutes. I don't want to keep you guys. There's a lot of basketball to watch. Uh, I could talk to you for about five hours, to be honest with you, and maybe we'll schedule this again before, before the, the tournament. But Conference record and the value of conference tournament wins. We hinted upon – we talked about the conference wins uh, tournament not really mattering. I think we're all in agreement with that. 
the conference is not a big part of the at all of the NCAA committee team sheet or anything, but it does present an interesting optics problem. <laughs> like Iowa State right now is last in the Big 12, but their metrics have it somewhere you're a 7, 8, or 9 seed in the team or, or in the bracket. Um, is there any influence, do you think, on those individual committee members when they see an Iowa State last in the Big 12 at you know, three and seven or three and eight or whatever they are. Alan, we'll start with you. Well, I think that when you go 13 and 0 in non-conference, it does tend to offset quite a bit of that right. because the raw numbers for Iowa State still look really good. Um, and I think that it matters a bit more for teams like Oklahoma, teams like K-State, that didn't build up the same goodwill in non-conference. You know, they're going to struggle a lot more to get into the field with that kind of a record. Iowa State, I'm not really that worried about. Um, The rest of the Big 12, personally, I think that the Big 12 would be more likely to be a six-bid league than it would an eight-bid league, which eight bids in and of itself would be a record for the highest percentage. Uh, 91 Big East had seven out of nine teams in. So eight out of 10 would beat that. But I, I just think that they're going to disregard that unless it gets to the point where it's just too many losses overall that it offsets it. If, you know, if you're sitting at 17 and 14, you're not getting in. Graham, your thoughts on, on that overall conference record. It is not an official part of the selection process. Um, It's just part of the overall, you know, total you know body of work but man does it look it's gonna look it's gonna be tough to have the last team in a conference in over some other teams your thoughts about just how that looks uh so first off i had to move rooms because i've got a crying two-year-old that's uh just literally too loud to to be around so we moved into a different room but uh i i think yeah it, it looks bad and i think particularly in the big 12 and the big east i think is a similar conference where because you do play around robin there is an element there if you start comparing some bubble teams and maybe you got a sweep of one team over another and they've got a better conference record that's a lot of data indicating that maybe one team actually should be over another so i think in general conference records don't really matter much but i think when you have a round robin could play a bit of a role. Uh, but yeah, I think Iowa State uh, in particular and is just so strong out of conference that I, I don't put much faith in conference record, but at a certain point you have to start to wonder a little bit about it. Yeah, we, we, we got burned with TCU in 2019, I believe. That was our one team we missed, and, and we had them a little bit higher because we think their quality of wins, they had a, they didn't have too many quad one wins, but we thought their, their quality of wins uh, were – were enough to get them in and it just wasn't and so th- we're going to go back and take a look at that trend or that comparison too of uh, of TCU and, and what Iowa State is this year so fellas it's time to to wrap this up but we got to finish with the bubble talk uh we'll just talk in general about teams that really need to get some wins and we'll go around uh, the table we'll start with Alan teams that really need to get your some wins that are in your bracket uh and some teams that are out that you're going to be watching that you think have a chance to, to pop in here uh, in the next week or two? Well, I think uh, just about anybody in the ACC that is near the bottle, North Carolina, Notre Dame, Miami, Wake, they all need to get some wins. Uh, the problem is they can really only be Where are they going to get them? <laughs> so the, the teams just aren't there. 
Um, teams that I that have definitely caught my eye of late, uh, both Memphis and Rutgers. And I moved Memphis in today, which shocked me. Um, but it just the the top tier wins that they have are valuable enough. And when you look at what the committee tends to do with those last four in, you'll see a lot of high majors. Uh, UCLA has gotten in that way a couple times. St. John's, Syracuse, Providence. Arizona State uh, one time. Arizona State. Uh, or, you know, if it's a mid-major, it's going to be a mid-major with big wins. Last year, Wichita State had that win over Houston. Drake had the win over Loyola. Uh, or better yet, both. Yep. Michigan State last year, high major with a lot of big wins. Like you said, Arizona State a couple times, they had uh, upsets of Kansas. Both of those two times that they got into the last four teams in. Um USC in 2017, Kansas State in 2017, all teams that got there. Um, in terms of teams that are outside that I think might be able to get in and might be able to survive or surprise us, Rutgers, who I mentioned, Virginia is another one. That Duke win looks really good. The Providence win looks really good. Um, Kansas State and Davidson is another that I think could come up. They have a really nice resume. I know most people have them in as the at large or as the automatic bid right now um because i use the net i've got dayton ahead of them but davidson is a team that's right there on the edge and if they do enough against the rest of the a10 they could make the a10 a two-bid lead and going back to that conference conversation too i do think sometimes there's not a set number from any conference but i do think the american and the a10 is something to watch because i wonder if the committee would like to get a second team in for the American with Memphis, get a second team in with uh, Davidson and Dayton or VCU, something like that. If their metrics are close enough, if their resume is close enough to be deserving, is that the final push in that last four, as Alan mentioned, to put some of those teams in and give them a chance in that first four? Graham, some teams that are that are in at the back end of yours that need to really get to work and a couple that you're keeping your eye on that you think are, are going to be uh, maybe joining your bracket here soon. Uh, so I do have SMU and Memphis both in in the first four uh, from the Americans. So it could end up being a pretty good day for that conference mm -hmm. if that ends up uh, coming into play. But uh, I, there is one team I've really had my eye on recently, and it's not Indiana, uh, even though uh, I have been looking at them too. But Wake Forest. I look, yeah, I look at this this resume, and they're really leaning heavily into avoiding bad losses. And avoiding bad losses is a trouble for a bubble team because if you're on the bubble, it means there's a big dent or multiple dents in your resume. And you would much rather be, as Alan mentioned, Arizona State saying, hey, we got bad losses, but look at these wins over Kansas. Mm -hmm. That convinces the committee you can beat NCAA-level competition. Last year happened with Louisville. You look at who they played. They, they didn't win the big games that they had on their schedule. Same thing in 2019. I, I stared down that TCU team. I, I can't tell you how many times I've looked at that team sheet because I'm like, man, they won at Iowa State. They won at Texas. No bad loss. They didn't have a single loss in quad three or four. Their strength of record was good. KPI was good. But they had too many opportunities that they didn't convert against NCAA-level competition. Wake Forest, their only quad one win is at Virginia Tech. And if Virginia Tech doesn't make it, Wake Forest could be looking at not having any wins over the field in Quadrant 1. I could, I think Wake Forest could be that surprise team that's out of the tournament that everybody wonders how it happened. That's how it happened. 
happen. They didn't take advantage of the opportunities yeah, they had. I agree on Wake Forest. Um has to find some wins, but where do they find them in the ACC? This, you know, I guess you just got to beat uh, if you have a chance at way at North Carolina this week. You got to beat them. You know, you got to beat those teams you're competing for uh, on that bubble. We have SMU in as well uh, as of right now, and this is also fluid. Uh, we have um, we do have Memphis in as well. Um, so that was shocking, Alan. It was like Memphis was written off four weeks ago, like never, ever going to look at their, their team sheet ever again. And they found their, found their way back in that, that reminds me of Syracuse of all these years where, you know, for the first half of the year, they were really bad. And then all of a sudden they, they, they pop back in. Uh, and we're not, I, I think Rutgers is the team that I'm watching the most. It's hard to look at their resume and say they can't make it other than the 81 net. That would be the highest ever. I think it's 76 or 73 is the highest metric to get in, in the time that we've been doing this. So I, I, I'm watching Rutgers, but I'm really, um, Florida is a team I need to learn more about because they had some injuries too. Um, and they've been in and out of a lot of our brackets and, and people that we look at. Uh, as well. So I want to do more deep dive on Florida and UAB. I, I don't think that conference will get multi, multiple bids, but their net is at 41. And, and you can't ignore that. That goes back to MC's question earlier about the, the top 30 cutoffs. That's a pretty good net for that conference. And if they advance to the conference uh, championship, does that is that enough for them to sneak into that, that first four? We don't think so right now, but we are, we are keeping an eye on that. So, fellas, we've been going for an hour. I'm going to call it a night here, but let's go around the, the table. Any, any last comments or thoughts uh, about uh, where we're at in NCAA basketball? Well, last thing that I'll say, uh, since we were having the bubble talk, the one team I just haven't been able to move out is Creighton. I would right. say definitely to keep an eye on them to stay in. When you've got wins over Villanova and on the road at UConn, at Marquette, those are the kind of wins that, as ugly as their net may look, I think they're just going to stick on the right side. Graham, any final thoughts? Yeah, I'll just say that no team uh, since the KPI and strength of record started getting on the team sheets has had a worse average between those two than 52.5. Usually, if you're going to make the field, you've got to be above that, um, particularly in one metric. You've got to be usually pretty good in strength of record or KPI. Um, and I, I'm just looking at a couple teams this year, Oklahoma struggling there, Indiana struggling there. There's some teams that I know are really good that they've got to get those metrics up. Otherwise, it could be a disappointing selection Sunday. So uh, share with our listeners where they can find your work. Uh, Alan, uh, where can they go find your, your work and Graham? And then uh, we'll, we'll call it a night. I'm available on CrackedSidewalks.com. That's primarily a Marquette blog. And on Twitter, at Brew City 1977 uh, At Graham Doran on Twitter and com. Very good. Uh, if you enjoy brackets, uh, which you have to if you're leaving remotely listening to us, go find these guys on Twitter, follow them, go see their work. They're some of the best in the business. Uh, we appreciate your, your time, and that'll do it for this episode of Bracket U. Uh, we'll be back uh, on Thursday uh, with a bracket update with our group. Check out our website, DelphiBracketology.com, and follow us on Twitter at Delphi Brackets. Don't be afraid to ask us questions. We'll get back with you as soon as we can. We encourage you to check out our donation page where you can help us with all costs associated uh, with our club. Uh, for Alan and Graham, I'm, I'm Brian Tonsoni wishing you a good night and that your team continues to win the big ones. Mm-hmm.